0: welcome welcome to episode 51 51 glorious episodes i know i don't i haven't been doing the music whatever who cares it doesn't matter big deal so today there is a story out fox news has it uh u.s poised to pull out of nuclear arms treaty with moscow what is this And the story goes on to say an administration official confirmed on Friday that during his meetings next week with Russian officials, National Security Advisor John Bolton will inform Russia that the U.S. intends to pull out of the Intermediate-Range Nuclear Treaty known as the INF. He states, across two administrations, the United States and our allies have attempted to bring Russia back into the full and verifiable compliance with INF, uh, said the source, who spoke on condition of anonymity, despite our objections, Russia continues to produce and field prohibited cruise missiles and has ignored calls for transparency. The State Department has for some time held the position that the U.S. is in compliance with the treaty, while Russia is not. The Department's Bureau of Arms Control Verification and Compliance said in December that the Russian Federation's continuing violation and refusal to engage constructively is an impediment to improving bilateral relations and creates an untenable situation whereby the United States unilaterally complies with the INF treaty while the Russian Federation violates it. Earlier this month, Defense Secretary Jim Mattis said Russia's deployment of nuclear-capable missiles in violation of an arms treaty was untenable and that without charges, without changes by Moscow, the U.S. would have to match that military capability. Speaking to reporters at the close of a NATO Defense Minister's meeting in Brussels, he said the U.S. was reviewing its diplomatic and military options because of Russia's continued breaches of the 1987 treaty. So I, this... These types of things always come up whenever they're going to sit down and actually discuss the substance of uh any treaties that they're going to update and from the way things have gone historically is the uh in former times at least the the russians would uh push the boundaries uh, whether that's uh, slightly or overtly to uh, have those have those increases or those um, outstanding uh, parameters uh, be scaled back into a uh, manageable uh, compliant agreement whenever they would sit down and sign it. So they're going to use this as a bargaining chip uh, in their talks in their renegotiations of these treaties. And so this has gone on for quite some time. I mean this is the way it's the way it's always been. Uh, the situation these days um, it's always it's always a um, concern that what is viewed as uh, overt noncompliance may in fact be exactly what I have described. And that is you want, they want to use that headroom uh, as a uh, tool in their negotiations. But on the flip side, um, in the absence of those uh, negotiations and in the absence of an agreement, that could become a, uh, a very difficult time period uh, for the simple fact of just what they had said, that they're forced to increase and, and match those same overt actions or conditions. Uh, and so the United States is responding to this, and they're going to try to increase their own capabilities uh, to match, probably prior to sitting down and discussing the treaty, which they uh, say that the Russian Federation is in violation of right now currently. So. I think that from this, uh, and they, so the United States and Russia have always sat down and, and talked about these things. They've always had back channels. They've always, nobody wants nuclear war, of course. And and I think that, I think that uh, uh, Vladimir Putin probably dances a little bit too close to the edge uh, or wants the, at least the appearance of dancing too close to the edge. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are the masters of um, that doctrine, the mutually assured destruction. Uh, and there from my perspective this is the way i this is the way i see it the united states is going to generate so much prosperity in the world not just in the united states it's happening in the united states but it's going to spill out into other areas in the world and it's going to continue to the the winning is just going to continue to uh, spill out into all of the countries in the world and it's going to take time with certain other countries where there's been um very very large barriers to um coming together and ma- actually making agreements uh, it's a it's a big planet i mean we're But we're on two sides of the two sides of the planet, opposite sides of the planet, for the most part. And so for them to come to uh, in some places in the world and Russia is probably a prime, uh, probably a prime example of a country that is difficult to uh, get into and and have any of that in any of the investments to get into it. Uh, Some of it has to do with uh, the conditions as they are. And that is that it's difficult because of these uh, treaties and the way they're written and the way they're negotiated and so on and so forth. This is a uh, ends up being a tit for tat. And so Russia has always been, of course, opposed to NATO. Uh, and I can see uh, on the one hand, I try to put yourself in the uh, shoes of the Russians uh, for a minute so that you can see it from their perspective. And recognize that uh, NATO's sole purpose was to uh, combat against Soviet aggression during the Cold War. And that was the fear back then was that the Soviets were going to um, move into all of Europe. And uh, a country that was all communist, that has all of the resources of Europe and Russia, and then of course also China, that is a, um, that would be very, very dominant. But I don't think that it would be dominant in the sense uh, that it wants to be dominant. Like it wants to be like the United States and be prosperous. And that's the reason for the acts, the overt acts uh, and the attempts to dominate or to uh, get some type of foothold in various regions in the world. Um, I think that the United, it's, it's kind of a strange thing because when you look at it from the perspective of uh, the United States, uh, we're already there in those places. We have the money, we have the, the capabilities you know, to go in there. Other countries see that as, uh, as an opposing force to their dimension and their ideas. When in fact, if those two were to come together, uh, the rewards that would be reaped from that uh, would be far greater than if uh, the, if this two sided thing going back and forth continued. So recently, Vladimir Putin sat down with Sisi in uh, Egypt. I think I think they were in his, they were somewhere, but they sat down and signed uh, a security agreement. Uh, this was a couple of days ago, uh, and I know that Russia has uh close ties with a number of different countries in the region uh especially near the caucasus mountains so it's interesting to see these things play out the uh positioning uh, the leveraging the uh, you know they're doing a number of different things like that and it's all to gain a better position to essentially improve their their own nations economic outlook but if so in that sense, uh, I can understand from their perspective that that's how they, what they feel that they have to do. And they also um, have that about themselves that they have to be a strong, um, you know, strong meaning forceful uh, type of, of neighbor, essentially. Uh, but in this particular case, it's all of those, it's, it's all of that posturing that actually prevents them from uh, being included, which, I mean, there isn't, if there was a scenario and it, I'm not saying that there ever would be or that um specifically what what changes i don't have personally i don't have any um, things specific and i'll let those those leaders discuss those things and come to their own agreements but my from my perspective it is simply the way that everything is set up right now that there are so many impediments to including russia into economic uh activities in europe uh obviously economic growth coming out of the united states and There is, but I believe that there is a way that those things, a framework that can be built, uh, which allows the economies to flourish by removing the diametrically opposed ideology, by by removing that idea that we are one against another, attempting to, um, because this isn't the Cold War, this isn't the same... This is a this is a very, very much changed scenario from what it was. The Russian Federation is not the Soviet Union, uh, even though there are a few holdover ideas, especially in Europe with um, certain entities like NATO, and that's what they fear. They fear the same fear that they had before, and that is that the Russians would, you know, uh, there would be a, uh, a tidal wave of, of military and they would overrun Europe. It's always been that way. Um, but removal of that, um, removal of that idea that everything has to be conquered. um, That is the main thing because that soon you'll wake up in a world where that's not the case. And then you'll just be the last person at the end of the line instead of being at the front of the line. And I think that there's other countries that have missed that boat as well, but they've been able to weather it uh, a lot better due to the fact that they are um, lumped into cooperatives like NATO and, and uh, other places, other groups and uh, just the way the world is wired. But if we can, if we can m- rearrange a couple of things uh, there's no reason why the prosperity in the United States that's happening in the United States that, that that won't spread out all over the globe, you know, improving the lives of people everywhere. And you, and I, you know, I'm speaking about Russia uh, on, on from that perspective, the same holds true for, for China. China is going to be spending large amounts of money that it now is having less and less of to build um, military apparatus to, to dominate a region, uh, and their their goals are the same goals as what the communist Soviet Union um, goals were, and those are old goals. They don't they don't actually work. And when you dismiss, if you have your own um, borders and you have your own army and you have your own military that is a that is defensive in posture, large enough to defend itself, uh, but you don't take on um, advance. You don't take on weapons or Or posturing that is overt then you leave yourself in that position where other countries are then able to access your markets and that's what I mean uh, that's part of what I mean by having the prosperity um, really just move all around the earth uh, because that's what would happen if all of these countries figured this out that 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 prosperity that's happening here can also happen there and the two not just that they are in a symbiotic relationship or, or even that they have to have extreme bilateralism just that There's a it's always been that way so that if we can get these um, impediments out of the way, then the money can actually flow like it's supposed to uh, unimpeded without impedance. And while it moves around the earth, the uh, infrastructures are built, cities are built, businesses are are opened, um, the prosperity, that's how you get that prosperity to um, manifest. And that's how you spread it. And that's what we're trying to do. I believe that's what Trump is trying to do. That would be my, uh, my own estimation of how it should be done. And, and so, you know, I talked a lot about, about Russia, but even China. China is the same, it's, it's in the same boat. It's essentially everyone has woken up into a world where it really isn't necessary. It's not necessary um, to divert large sums of money into an apparatus, a military apparatus that is overt. Because you, because of the fact that populations in the world have increased um, by so much. So like since, I've been, since I was born, we've got three and a half billion more people than there was when I was born. So uh, it's not that the earth is crowded. It's uh, simply uh, put that if you have a, an area that is, has borders, a nation like China, anywhere they move, there's, a large, there's large populations anywhere which way they go. So there isn't anywhere for them to go. Plus, they have their own large, very large population. So, the the so I guess what I'm getting at is is that they see that they want to relieve some of that by spreading out and and creating some type of of you know conquering strategy to where they take over different places and make room for themselves. Uh, history is replete with a number of um, time periods where people did those things. Uh, they did those things because of various reasons, but the main reason was is because the, any people that ever got conquered was because they were unprepared and they weren't um, able to defend themselves. Uh, but nowadays, any, there's it's, it's a very, very uh, short leap from uh, having a primitive defense force to uh, an actually very powerful force that is able to repel uh, assaults. So that, I guess that's what I'm saying is, is that what— it's the perspective that's in the mind of the leaders of these countries that uh there's that it's like the old days where you just you know send your armies sweeping across vast swaths of land uh, just for the taking uh, but that isn't the way the world actually is every step along the way you will meet with uh obstacles and the main obstacle is is that you have to consider this uh, first and foremost is that um, there's no reward for displacing entire populations of people by, by military action. There's no reward for it. Um, and, and so kind of to transition from that into uh, another point, and that is the, the land itself um, will not prosper its people if, for example, uh, there are farmers in a land. Let's take South Africa, for example. Right now you have a number of these uh, white farmers being uh, beaten and killed and threatened, Uh, over their land, because some of these um, African, black Africans want to take that from them without compensating them, which is illegal. It's called stealing. And when in our world, there are some people who are ignorant of the fact that there's always a higher authority, they go set about on that course and they obtain that land uh, illegally and not legitimately. So that is the key to causing that land to prosper. And so anyways, when they do this, that is the very reason why that land does not prosper them. In Zimbabwe, that was a a case in point. It wasn't that nobody knows how to farm. It was that they stole the land and they didn't compensate somebody. They didn't purchase the land. They didn't rightfully obtain the land or the rights to utilize the land or the rights to work the land. Same thing in South Africa is happening. It's it's probably the biggest mistake that anybody could have. And that is you can't just go and take something that isn't yours and then expect to reap the benefits from it. And so while they couldn't, uh, figure that out and learn from their neighbors on that one, they're going to learn it themselves by doing it again. See, it doesn't work. That's not how it works. You have to legitimately and legally and legitimately obtain the land for it to prosper you, for it to have a chance to prosper you. And when I say that, it's, uh, when I say that it has to have that chance to prosper you, um, the reason why I say that is because if you, if you do that one thing yet you are, you know, um, violating the laws in another area that too can affect your prosperity. So that. In, is the point of um, what I've been saying is that these ideologies um, of conquer and take and, and reap the benefits of the resources of that land doesn't work. History shows us that it doesn't work. Those people, those, those civilizations that did that did not last. So that, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at is, is if you want that prosperity, if you're, uh, you want that prosperity for your people, Everything that you obtain must be obtained legitimately, and not nefariously. Now, you can't, uh, you can't go into. and I know that um, China does all this a lot, especially in Africa, where they go and and lend these poor nations money that they know those nations can't pay back, and they build an infrastructure in there that they then take control of uh, because they use that infrastructure which they built, which was the the down payment on the loan. Uh, they use that because then the country goes broke not being able to pay back China, and then they take possession of what they built there. So that's how they've been trying to expand. That doesn't work either. That doesn't work either because the title of the land was not considered in the, that was not considered as a sale. China wants it to be like a de facto sale, like they couldn't pay their debt, so they had to forfeit. And that doesn't work either. It's it, That doesn't work. So the point is that there isn't, a land, there isn't a the land that you can obtain by force that will prosper you. You could call it a principle or you could call it food for thought, but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. And many people have made that mistake thinking that, you know, if I, if you take half of your neighbor's yard, or you take all of your neighbor's yard and you kill your neighbor, you can't live in two houses. Then I know you're thinking, well, we rent, rent one of them out, but Nobody wants to live in a house that the last guy that owned it was killed. See, so so I'm speaking uh, metaphorically. It's kind of a metaphor a little bit, but that's the point. The point is is that those things don't prosper. And so it really comes down to what it is that you really want to accomplish. And there's also a time limit. There's a time bar on this whole thing. The time bar on it is that that those two countries, China and Russia, both have a, a missing age group in their population. These younger people... Uh, first of all, are not getting. I'm not saying I'm not singling out Russia and China on this. That there's actually some very, very good um, instruction going on in their education, but but this generation isn't getting the same uh, information. They're not getting information that's relevant for them to make uh, complicated decisions. I don't want to go so far as to say they're dumb. Uh, they've there's so much information out there that they their uh, knowledge base is segmented into various things, whether that's Computer programming, or a trade, or whatever—it's it's segmented. And there isn't, there aren't a lot of people with broad knowledge base and not broad experience. This is what the universities and secondary education is supposed to be teaching people. But you in, a, lo, in, a, in uh, a lot of different places in the world, those uh, systems have um, also moved away from that role and are now teaching them things that aren't real. You know, you got gender studies. You've got you know all kinds of made up things that aren't real. And it's mostly these liberal globalists uh, that have pushed this. And it's a disease. These people are a disease. They're the, they are the enemy, uh, because that is a festering cancer on all of the societies in this world. And if the major nations, the major powers, can't come to a point where they sit down and realize this that they have to do something about that, and so further, I guess to further describe it, from Russia's perspective, the United States. It, <laughs> You know right now in in this particular time period that we're in they see trump as strong probably Um, but at the same time they uh you got a lot of crazy people on the left the liberals are completely insane now what do you think would be the russians um what do you think they would think of some of these really insane people then becoming elected and some of them maybe they maybe they make it into the white house someday but they're they've completely lost their marbles they have they are insane legitimately insane but now they're in the white house now they're the ones that are making those hard decisions that they have no business you know thinking about or you know those are the type of people that that is the type of thing that starts wars those are the type of people that start wars just by being okay they don't you have to be able to keep those people out of government and and so the best thing to do is is uh, right now is to not vote for them at all period that's one thing but but, but think about it from other uh, from the perspective of other countries um, that 's a destabilizing uh, thing for the United States to become destabilized that 's a bad thing, not a good thing for russia it's it 's a bad thing, not a good thing for China. but if you know they can fix these impediments and i don 't want to say they would acquiesce but in some uh in some form or um, i guess in some feeling you know the, the idea that the that the world isn 't there to be conquered anymore that that prosperity that they're looking for is right on their doorstep. I mean, it's right there. It's waiting to come in. All they have to do is just go, you know, I think I just don't want to conquer the world. And the door opens and the prosperity comes in because that's really what everybody's really wanting. They just want to be themselves in their own place, in their own, in their own country. Um, And it's difficult. I've generalized it quite a bit. uh, And it in no way is, um, it's just an opinion, but it's just, it's in no way comprehensive. And I do see some of the, um, uh, complications. And I do see, um, from their perspective, how some of these things would be, you know, would make them nervous, I guess, is the polite way to say it. Uh, I don't mean any of this in a way that is disparaging. Of course, it's just a matter of thought. It's just a matter of taking what, uh, taking the world as it is. And then, and then thinking about it and, and following that train of thought all the way to the end to see what, what is the alternative to, um, wars in various places in the world? What is the alternative to um, have being at this constant state of alert alertness? And not that you would ever not be alert. I'm just saying that the people have to feel like they're safe. They have to feel that they're safe, that their leadership is doing uh, the job, that they are uh, sane, cogent. They're, you know, working on their behalf to mitigate any types of infringements. Uh, and so, I mean, it's a thing, I guess. i <laughs> It's complicated, but you know there are people in the world who understand it, um, and you know there are <laughs> there are hotspots and there are things. You know, the Middle East I think is a is an interesting thing because you know they've they've almost been at constant war for thousands of years. I don't think I recall ever you know running through a time period in history where there wasn't some type of conflict happening, and it's sad really because it it, it that in and of itself prevented them from. Um, prospering. Now, they, there were rich periods of time and there were, you know, civilizations that had come and gone and um, th- throughout that, you know, last few thousand years. But I guess what I'm saying is, is that, that they were late getting into uh, the, the industrial age and they were losing out to the advancements in technology that were being made in the West uh, and not being able to have those advantages afforded to them. And so essentially they stayed in that, uh, that same state that they were in for the last thousand years roughly. So they're just now, you know, really coming into a moment of they've built cities, they've built, they've, they've got beautiful, brand new cities. They've, you know, building technology and, and, and building their infrastructure, building their schools and uh, building up their people. And, and it's a daunting task for each and every one of those States there now. Uh, but they've been blessed with, you know, large amounts of resources in oil and, and gas. So if there was a scenario and I don't know who, I don't know every aspect of it, but if there was a scenario where they could actually sit down and not have to devote so much of their money into military. And I'm not saying not to spend money on it because you, you still have to do it. You have to have the strength to uh, protect your people in each and every one of those, uh, those countries there. But I think there's a huge opportunity. And I know that, um, I know that other people, other l- uh, leaders have realized that if they can create some stability, if they can get something stable in there, uh, there's a huge opportunity to build, to, uh, invest, to, uh, you know, basically bring and raise up the level of the standard of living in those regions. And I think that a lot of that, um, warfare would, I think I feel that a lot of that would subside. I'm not saying that it would, or I'm not saying that, you know, it wouldn't be difficult, but you know, when you, when you go there or you see uh, footage on videos of these areas, whole vast areas, I mean, as far as the eye can see, there's nothing there, just desert or wasteland, and and there's resources there, though. There's resources in every single one of those regions, and, you know, there's no reason why cities can't be built there, prosperity can't be brought there, industry can locate there, workers are there, they're plentiful, and I know that there's a lot of um, uh, corporations in the world and a lot of different countries have have had these same ideas, but if There is a a way to set a condition and provide a framework with the understanding that those people, especially the people in North Africa, for example, because they're migrating so much into Europe, uh, which isn't making Europe more prosperous and is also not making those migrants any more prosperous, uh, it's just causing a problem. So what needs to happen is that uh, authority needs to be uh, the one to build that framework so that, there, so that that question is solved, the authority question is solved. There's an overarching authority over that region. Then have all of those countries, any country in the world, could just say, hey, I'd like to invest there. I'd like to put stuff in there. Corporations, I'd like to put, I'd like to handle this for you. I'd like to invest in this, and we'd like to house some of these things here get these uh, countries built up instead of being just uh, r- rubble heaps, you know? After all the wars and all of the, you know, the weapons that have flown, you know, flowed through there, uh, I mean, they've got whole caches of weapons, you know, hidden under a rock, Somewhere in the desert, you know I know that 's happening in Mali, uh, so things like that that 's what we 've got to do we've got to um, we 've got to mobilize our own resources to make that investment and the reason why there 's a number of reasons why, but the main reason why is because uh, we all are our brothers' keepers. we are all responsible to see to it that when we see our brothers in need that we do what we can to lift them up and make it better for them and I know that sounds really soft and fluffy and everything but it's true it's true and I've said it before you know I see somebody and they're down I, I you know it's a natural instinct for me and I hope it is for you that you would lift those people up and lift them out of their 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 situation you know and I, and that doesn't mean you just give them a bunch of welfare in, import them into a country pay pay them to vote for you and give them a bunch of welfare so they sit there and cause these problems that isn't what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is let's build in their countries. Let's, have, let's bring them back, build in their countries. They can have a level of prosperity greater than they had before and also a level of prosperity that would be greater than what they would ever have in Europe or, you know, the West or, you know, in other countries. And so there's no need to go anywhere else. They can live right there. You have to provide that stability. You have to provide that economy to, to make that happen. And if everyone, all the, the strong nations in the world got together and just decided, you know what, let's do this, I think it can be done.